Hello and welcome back to yet another episode of Absolutely No One No One's Favorite Podcast, Annoying Question Boy. I am of course that boy bringing you some information right out of my mouth hole. Uh, we have a good one today folks as per usual, but of course, for those of you returning, you know what we have to do first. Let's go ahead and roll that intro music. So let's go ahead and start with this story coming out of Midtown in New York City the other day. Uh, A member of the Black Lives Matter affiliated movement, Warriors in the Garden, which is a nonviolent, peaceful protesting group made up of many different activists, uh, had their house surrounded by multiple police the other morning, uh, starting in the early hours of the day. Uh, The person... The person who has yet to be named had their house surrounded early on Friday morning. The police showed up with riot gear, dogs, and assault rifles, uh, also making an attempt to unlawfully arrest the activist without a warrant, which caused the activist to begin live-streaming the interaction. After hours of live-streaming, eventually a few people, totaling to be around 100 or so individuals, came to fight off the police officers throughout the day. The police stayed for most of the day, eventually leaving without ever even presenting an arrest warrant or explaining to anyone the cause for the attempted arrest. This is, of course, yet another attempt by not only the New York Police Department, but police departments across the country to make it so that peaceful protesters have to pay for their supposed transgressions of, you know, peacefully protesting, while still absolutely no one has had to pay for the murder of George Floyd or Breonna Taylor. And I hate that those are the two names that I'm supposed to use, with so many names being lost in the time frame of this whole event in this country, as well as far before this. I feel almost as if I'm disrespecting many others just by saying George Floyd or Breonna Taylor. Or rather, I guess, by not saying the other names. But rest assured, they surely were not the first by a long shot. And based off of the attempt by the New York Police Department and many other attempts over the course of the last few months or so, they certainly, sadly, will not be the last. Uh, So speaking of people who should not be being placed in danger for no understandable reason, let's go ahead and talk about some teachers. So, of course, I'm sure we're all hearing many different conversations about the possibility of reopening schools across the country come this fall. And I'm sure if you're a New York citizen or, you know, you pay attention to state politics, you know that our illustrious leader, uh, Governor Cuomo, decided that we will, in fact, be going back to school this fall, um, showing once again the absolute mask off lack of care by our government, not only at a statewide level, but across the country. With the ruling class demanding that we return to schools amidst a nationwide pandemic and healthcare crisis, I feel it's time that we begin to come together as one working class. And this one is certainly for the teachers. The only thing that's going to cause enough damage, I'd say, uh, that would create any change would be a general teacher's strike. Or really just a general strike of all workers but we could at least start with a general teacher's strike. 
with the ruling class demanding that schools reopen before not only getting control of the virus itself in this country and getting numbers down, or even simply reforming the healthcare system so that if anyone does get this virus, they could at least come out the other side possibly without hundreds of thousands of dollars of medical debt. Especially when you realize that the only reason that most people are going to get the virus or have gotten the virus in this country, and especially why many will get it when the schools reopen, is that the government has basically showed absolutely no interest in protecting anything, especially the citizens, other than their profits. Um... I found that uh, I definitely think with all the protests that are going on and, you know, the general cause for calls for reform in the government, I genuinely think that we will not see true reform and true safety measures taking taken in this country by our government because realistically when you look at the people who are getting sick and are dying they're all of the people that probably would have reason to oppose the government and the way that they govern so i mean they're really just losing enemies at this point so why the fuck are they gonna care um on July 31st, the CDC released a document going over a case of a sleepaway camp in Georgia where one of the counselors two days into the camp tested positive for the virus. Over the next few days, as they attempted to close and get kids and workers to go home, a whopping 260 people contracted, contracted the virus. This is over the course of like six days. Kids from 6 to 19 at the camp, for the most part, have indeed recovered. Because, as opposed to many other groups of individuals, children and younger individuals have a less likely chance to pass due to this virus alone. Most of the complications come with pre-existing conditions or insufficient medical care. The problem then becomes, however, that this is essentially a guessing game, a massive gamble. And when the gamble involves not only children's lives, our children's lives, but the lives of the children they're coming in contact with at school or sleepaway camps, those other children's parents, their grandparents, their teachers, etc., um, I, I definitely am not willing to take that gamble. Uh, Betsy Davos, in a recent speech, made some allusion towards the fact that she believed that children were immune, or rather, uh, not carriers of the virus. Uh, this, as far as anyone can tell, was based on a French study that was made uh, that made similar claims. But what Betsy obviously forgot to read was the clause where the French actually already have the virus under control for the most part in France, as well as their much better healthcare system, and a government that actually seems to give a shit about their people. So in a country that has done absolutely almost nothing to stop the actual spread of the virus, the same country without a functioning healthcare system, and a government that very obviously doesn't want to care about its citizens, there's certainly going to be more of a chance that children could spread the virus and die from it themselves. But the fact that we're taking the risk at all with any children's lives, to me, is extremely dystopian and very terrifying. But this shows the inherent necessity for a teacher's union strike, or a general strike across the country, rather. And as far as I can really tell, that's about all that could help us out of this hole that our amazing government has gotten us into.
On August 3rd, thousands took to the street in protest of the Department of Education's attempts to send students, staff, and teachers back to school without any proper measures being taken to ensure their safety. Jillian Primiano, a left voice member and nurse, spoke at this gathering, coming to show her support as a fellow essential worker. Knowing damn well that the hospitals in this country are not at all prepared to take care of the massive amounts of cases that we could be seeing in the next few months as a nurse herself, not only with schools reopening, but with the many evictions that are coming up this next month, Jillian spoke out very much against our government and the way that our people in this country are being treated. She's quoted as saying, Every time that rank and file members stand up to demand policies that prevent the spread of COVID, you're saving lives that medicine cannot save. If teachers refuse to work in order to make their working conditions safe for staff and students, people can live. Teachers, if you don't get what you need, you should strike. And healthcare workers, other essential workers, the unemployed, the evicted, should stand behind you in a united front to demand that the working class stop paying for this pandemic with their money and their lives. In the most recent $1.1 trillion quote-unquote coronavirus relief bill, there was only about $100 billion of those dollars going towards schools. With approximately $70 billion tied up in contracts that are basically forcing schools to open as long if they want to receive this federal aid. If some K-12 through schools accept this money, they have to open up. And that, to me, is absolute and utter bullshit. Not only is this happening in states that are more in control of the virus, but Texas, Alabama, and Florida, three of the worst states in the country in terms of the virus's infection rate, which is increasing, all plan on reopening. Uh, I don't know if anybody saw those pictures. I believe it was in a Georgia school. There's like something like 3,000 students, faculty, and all those uh, people that are at that school, and there was a picture that was posted, I can't remember if I saw it on Twitter or on Facebook, but there wasn't a single kid or teacher wearing a mask. Um, so, I mean, we all know how Georgia was about, a, you know, two or three weeks ago with their, um, was it their senator who basically made it illegal to require masks? Um, so, yeah, I mean... That's America for us. But, like, this is what I'm talking about. This is what I've been talking about since I started this podcast. What I don't think people are really making the connection about is the fact that this isn't because the government is going to help or because the government thinks it's safe, but because it's what they want. The less working class people that there are to cause problems for this government, the easier it is for them to remain in control, in power, especially amidst this cultural and social norm-challenging uh, time that we're seeing through the Black Lives Matter and subsequent movements calling for true systemic change. In this country, there is a calling like no other to simply put the lives of children at risk. For the sake of what? What does the U.S., or really any kid in general, have to lose by waiting another six months or a year 
to make sure that when they go to school, it's actually safe for them to go back. I don't understand what it is that they're going to be missing out on. So speaking of striking, uh, this past week there was also a huge protest led by the Crown Heights Tenant Union, Flatbush Tenant Coalition, and many other neighborhood organizations and unions named Shut Down Evictions and Cancel Rent. Starting on the 4th, this three-day action against evictions and rent caused these folks, numbering in the hundreds, to post up in front of the Brooklyn Housing Court at 8.30 a.m. every day, blocking landlords and building owners from entering in order to file eviction papers. By the third day, the eviction moratorium had been moved back to September, meaning no one in New York State can legally be evicted until September 4th. On the first day during a tropical storm, many made their way to the front of the building, protesting and shouting calls for change. After speaking for a while about cruel and corrupt landlords, gentrification, and the importance of protecting the renters in New York City, a city that is about two-thirds of its residents renting, after doing this for a while, they began to march. They made their way down to the family court building on Tuesday, marching in front, calling for the end of separation of working-class families. On Wednesday, hundreds more made their way to the courthouse early in the morning, and by the end of the day, had, they had made their way to Slichowski and Slichowski, I believe it's pronounced, uh, which is a law firm in the city that represents some of the biggest slumlords, which have also has also been able to accept a nice little thirty or sorry three hundred and fifty thousand dollars in PPP loans during the pandemic, which they in turn used as a means to file evictions. With the signing of the executive order, Cuomo made the moratorium go to September fourth, giving tenants and tenant unions more time to organize and decide what actions need to be taken from here. I feel like this is extremely important because I don't think what I don't think most people in this country realize is just how many people uh, rent. And this is also not even taking into account the fact that we already have approximately 560,000 homeless people in this country who, you know, considering the fact that I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm not full-time anymore, but when I was full-time at Lowe's, I barely had health insurance. I couldn't afford a place to live or anything like that. So now when you're going to put 23 million people possibly out of their homes on September 4th, excuse me, in the midst of a global pandemic and healthcare crisis, not to mention the joblessness rate, the amount of businesses that are closing their doors or at least downsizing, the insane... Uh, prices of the housing market and uh the fact that a lot of places that rent will probably be more difficult to get in because they'll you know they'll want their money they haven't gotten their money in a long time so i mean i don't i don't know what what else to really say about this other than the fact that anyone can get evicted during this pandemic uh is just an absolute humanitarian crisis but uh, speaking of organizing and deciding what to do, the awful segue, uh, let's have a little brief conversation here about left versus right politics in America. 
Uh, I explained some of this in my last blog post, and if you want to go check that out uh, for more of a in-depth explanation, it's called Why Trump is Not Enemy Number One or something like that. It's on blogger.com under Annoying Question Boy. But let's just real quick start off by saying that this whole left versus right conversation in this country is an absolute joke. Uh, Both Republicans and Democrats sit almost exactly in the same spot politically on a graph and operate as almost one conscious being. The reason why the right hates the left in this country is to give the narrative some balls or to make it seem like they actually are any different is to create some kind of ideological uh, support of one side or the other because if people realize the fact that they're both ineffective and they're both doing the same thing. Well, then neither one of them would get any votes and they'd have to really take their mask off and show uh, just how they actually operate. Um, but I implore you uh, to pay attention to the talking points of both parties. Watch some press conferences, listen to some Congress and Senate speeches, because other than AOC and her group of buddies there, Everyone else in those rooms are really working towards the same goal. And that, simply put, is an extension of their own power. The most important things in a capitalist society are power, money, and influence. All of which can be achieved simply by being a member of the U.S. government. With lobbyists all over the place, large corporations handing out healthy donations to campaigns and government officials directly... What is there to keep anyone from cashing a check? When you live in a capitalist society, even if you're quote-unquote one of the good ones, it's almost impossible to be present in any layer or level of government without either participating in or witnessing, at the very least, corruption. And although it is something I've come to terms with, at least saying that I know that it happens and will continue to happen... I'm certainly not one who's okay with it, and I'd assume and hope that you folks aren't either. But it seems in this country, especially ever since the election of 45, the most important thing to anyone in government, especially those on the right, is reaching across the aisle to one another, working together to find a... Oh, I actually misspoke. I meant to say especially to those on the left. Sorry. Especially to those on the left, I should say, reaching across the aisle to one another, working together to find a compromise, a solution to both sides of the problem, and making it a democratic solution, quote-unquote. But the problem is we've gone far, 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 far to the right, and nothing that we do now will be a compromise to anyone except for those already in power. Because with authoritarianism, the objective, if done intelligently, is to slowly but surely begin to take away any and all rights of the people and slowly develop a police state of sorts, giving unheard of powers to government officials, uh, and also completely removing the representation part of our representative democracy. Uh, I hate it. I hate to break it to you guys, but we're pretty close to that police state part if we're not already there with the federal officers being deployed in Portland and other cities on peaceful protesters, tear gas being released by cops into crowds around medical tents, arresting and criminal criminalizing people for protesting, which is their constitutional right 
And the fact that what they're protesting, police brutality, exists in the way that it does in this country. It seems like if we haven't already, we're very close to going full-blown fash. But of course, to many, this is nothing too traumatizing. And that's the whole notion behind bipartisanship in this country. If you have two parties who are comprised of almost the same group of individuals, all from similar backgrounds economically, and usually looking to accomplish similar things, then even you will get something like we have today. Two parties that are supposedly in opposition to one another, proclaiming to hate one another, yet operating almost the exact same way, looking to accomplish almost the exact same things and allowing either side of the coin to continue whatever awful shit they're doing as long as the other side can also get a bit of, you know what, a little bit of green themselves. I know I said it before, but I'll keep saying it until someone else gives a fuck. There is absolutely no such thing as politics in this country. Politicians are just actors. They're all operating in a world of make-believe that's been created by our years and years of quote-unquote national national superiority to the world bred by ultra-nationalism and hyper-militarism, as well as almost no policy-based voting or elections. It's all fucking identity politics. In this country, and correct me here if I'm wrong, uh... Most people don't even know who they're voting for until they're standing in the ballot box. And that's even if they vote. So you have a whole country that prides itself on this democratic practice of electoralism that doesn't even vote or research anything about who they do vote for if they vote. Because it's all based off of usually one or two specific things that each candidate does or says that those people like. Um, in this country, the best way to win is to have a great one-liner. We can do it is a great example, but an even better one is make America great again. It really appealed to the actual group of individuals in this country that does participate in our politics, the old people and the conservatives. So what I'm saying here is please, for the love of God, pay attention to U.S. politics. Do your research, vote, go on strike, do direct action, but don't just sit around waving your American flag and saying thank you to our beautiful fascist overlords for our freedom and democracy. Also, just real quick, uh, the presidential election almost barely matters, so pay attention to Senate and Congress. Now, this parlay is absolutely perfectly into my next and almost final segment, intersectionality. Uh, I know I've talked about it on here before, probably a few times briefly, uh, but I want to give more of a lengthy discussion or conversation about why intersectionality is actually incredibly important. So as we've established, if you've been a listener for a while or have come to the conclusion yourselves, there are two real parties in this country. Those with, and I don't mean politically, I mean in the, like, of the citizens. Those with the power and those without it. If you're hearing this, take a guess at who you are. And it has always been that way 
Since the founding of this country, it has always been that way. And it will always continue to be that way until literally only one thing happens. Capitalism goes bye bye And I'm sure to my non-commie friends of the show who might be listening, this conversation is an old and annoying one. But I plead and beg you to understand why it is I keep trying to pound this into your brain. I wouldn't if it wasn't important to me. So please, listen. Race, religion, gender, sexual orientation, etc. are all social constructs. Now, what this means is that these things do not exist in nature. They are a product of our society's creation, and that is caused by a necessity to segment or separate the individuals that are in the quote-unquote powerless group, people like you and I. Because the biggest weapon that any movement can have is numbers. That would be achieved by intersectionality, solidarity, or rather, understanding of this very narrative the narrative that causes separation. The separation caused in this country by racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, you name it, is something that cannot be ignored. We are a separated people based on such unimportant and non-tangible differences that it's infuriating. Why the fuck does it matter what the color my skin is, or what the color of your skin is, what gender I subscribe myself to, or who I fuck? Other than a tool to cause more oppression because of that, not only by the state and government, but by my peers and fellow working class citizens, these things, these social constructs again, are not real. But they are real enough in society to make them real, if that makes sense. Basically what I'm saying is that pigmentation actually doesn't influence anything about you, personally, other than what it causes other people in your environment to react and do because of it. It's real in the sense that it causes reactions and problems depending on what pigment you have in your skin, but it's really not real in the sense that it doesn't actually matter outside of the context of somebody else's or your own reaction to that very thing. It's much less complicated than I'm making it sound, that's for sure. Um, but I apologize, this certainly isn't my speciality. I'm not always the greatest uh, explaining concepts like these. Um, and all these social constructs are based on and perpetuated by norms and ideals in society. So let's say that a norm in society is that black people are the most criminalized and condemned people in America then that's probably going to influence people's opinion of black people. But does that actually mean that black people are inherently more criminal? No. We have just simply created a norm by hyper-criminalizing black people in this country, creating also an ideal or belief that black people are dangerous, criminal, or scary based simply on their skin color, When in all reality, the only thing that makes black people different than you and I, if you are not black, is their pigmentation. 
which should not at all have any influence on their experience in this country as a human being, nor on my or anyone else's opinion towards them, but it does because our society's culture made it so. And this really, again, is a symptom of capitalism's reign in this country. Black people, of course, starting first as slaves and property in this country, then servants and poor laborers, prisoners, and all the way to what black people are treated like in this country still today, the other. And this has been created by an inability at first for most, in, most black people to gain any wealth or status in this country, making it easy to propagandize against them as an entire people group because who is going to fight that? Our government and our society created these ideas of not only black people, but really in the case of this country, any less, any less advantaged person, and turned it into a personality trait making it so that these folks are slandered on a daily basis, one, have no means to battle the slander, and two, people can look at them and their environment and agree with the narrative being created, even though it is only as real as the society around us has made it to be. Again, if that makes sense. So to summarize that last part, because I don't think that really made sense the way that I, I meant it, um we're able to convince people of these norms about black people because we can look at their environment of which many of them grow up, uh, poorer communities, less educated, less, uh, less quote unquote civilized society. But that was a cause of our country's treatment of black people. It has nothing to do with black people as a whole. It has to do with black people who are born in this country and the way that this country treats black people, as well as many other minorities. Um, so this means that we not only have to come to an understanding that the only thing in this country that seems to matter, not only to you and I, but to the society as a whole, its nor is its norms and ideals. And how it is governed is who has the money, as in who governs the norms. And the 1% have that spot taken, and we're not going to get into that, nor should we want to. Because as you can see in every capitalist society, capital corrupts. So we as a people, as a working class people, need to come together as one and fight to rid this country of capital of a power structure, and of this idea of the other. We are all human beings, most of us just fighting tooth and nail every day to make it to tomorrow. And yeah, there might be some not-so-savory people that we're going to have to team up with in this fight. But remember, most of these people became the quote-unquote unsavory type because of their environment, circumstances, and ignorance. So let's work with that and make it so that people from those backgrounds and other backgrounds and ideologies can come to an understanding that they were influenced by social constructs and re-educate them. This world is an absolute and awful place. It has been for a long time. But that to me is not a call to surrender. So let's not let it be to the rest of the country either. Let's fight for one another just as hard as we fight for ourselves. Because at the end of the day, none of us asked to be here, and we all want to just make it to tomorrow. So why can't we help one another get there, together? 
Finally, I'd be remiss if I didn't at least spend a second on this, but uh, did everyone see the DNC and Biden completely ignore the call of their country's almost entire citizenry and choose Kamala fucking Harris, Kamala the cop, as VP? That's it, folks. This shit just isn't going to change. You have a a national outcry for anti-cop politics, a discourse on the justified reasoning behind removing police and policing as it exists from from our society and our country as a whole, and a call for, at the very least, large-scale revisions being completely ignored, and we're going to have just a fucking cop as VP. And I know she wasn't, like, a, a real cop, but, like, she's a fucking cop. And uh, this all comes on the heels of a stunning new call for the dismantling of the Department of Homeland Security made yesterday, which you can kiss goodbye, And also a day or so after Biden said that he would leave the wall on the Mexican border the way it is, but instead get drones. Because, you know, we all know how much him and his buddies love drone strikes. I absolutely hate to end this podcast on a bad note, considering I haven't done one in a while. But shit really isn't looking like it's going to get any better. And we keep fucking ourselves thinking that it's going to. We are the ones who will make the change. This country and its government ta- government's time has been up for a while now, and they just don't know it. So let's begin to show them. Although this is a recognition that the country itself, its government, and our society will not be taking place in their own systematic change, this does not mean that we should look out into the world and decide to give up. I have found... Um, over the last couple years in my quote-unquote radicalization, um, that time and time again, as a leftist, we will see and feel utter disappointment and frustration about the society and government in which we live. But the difference is, and I think, I don't know if this is just because I am someone who is now paying attention, But I think genuinely we are seeing a new generation, not only the generation of my uh, uh, subscription, I guess you'd say, but the generation after me being really anti uh, the um, American government. So, I mean, don't give up. Just don't give up. And fuck it. Don't let them have elections. That's the thing that people don't realize. Like, we live in an electoral society, but it's because we made it that way. Let's make it different. Um, but yeah, so, uh, yeah. This wasn't exactly the most, um, structured podcast as I would have wanted it to be. I I wrote a script and everything, but it just didn't, it didn't flow. But that's okay. Um, thank you as always for listening. I have been, of course, Annoying Question Boy. If you liked what you heard, uh, cool. If you didn't, also cool. Because guess what? I've like 40 other episodes. So uh, go ahead and check those out, and I bet you can find at least something that you might like. Also, if you like YouTube videos, I make those too. I have three up right now, and I'm hoping to post a fourth coming up here soon. I also have a bunch of blogs. Um, 
which if you want to find those, you can go ahead and check those out on blogger.com, of course, under the name Annoying Question Boy. And my YouTube channel, of course, is on YouTube under Annoying Question Boy as well. I also have social media. Please follow that. I have Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok, which I don't even know if I should be plugging anymore because, you know, uh, Drump's got a nice little uh, uh, hurt ego about all that. Uh, But anyways, I hope you all have a wonderful night. Stay safe, fuck 12, and keep on fighting. Have a great day, and as always, it has been your boy. Adios.